It's Wednesday night, Audrey. 100% Wednesday night, which means one thing. We're on Zoom doing Tech Vibe Radio. Fun. Our 10th week or so. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It's hard to do radio without talking to people face-to-face for me. Yeah, I know. It's, we're, we're making it happen, and it works, but it's tough. That's for sure. It's, it's not the same vibe that you get, and you don't get the same thing going on. Yeah. But we're, we're efficient. We're yes. more efficient. We're efficient. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> and you don't like, and then I don't do any pre- or post-conversation, so you can be more efficient. Exactly. I'm able to cut it off a little easier. Because <laughs> one thing that always happens is people, people like getting that Audrey time. And so I know. back in the old days, it became like holding court with Audrey where people would be like, oh, since I have your attention, let me run this idea past you, Audrey. I know. And you're like, <laughs> and uh, going, this is great. Yeah. I got another guest waiting in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> now I have the, just go, okay, I can just let you go. Thank you. Now I have the dump button. See, I can just hit the button and you're out of here. <laughs> I've never used it, but I threatened to. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it, it, it almost feels like we've been doing it this way for a very long time now. And it has been, but it almost feels like forever. But No, haven't we been doing this for a decade? I think so, yes. <laughs> In Zoom time, yes. In terms of Zoom decade. fatigue, yes. <laughs> Oh, it's been crazy, Audrey. And as we all know, it's just times are getting just just tougher and tougher and more complicated. And I've been really impressed because, you know, the Pittsburgh Tech Council and with you as our leader at the helm, I mean, are really starting to put some things into overdrive when it comes into looking at Pittsburgh's tech sector and how it's addressing diversity and inclusion and equity across all the things that it does. And you've started some listening sessions that I know have been just really deep. Super. Pretty profound, I think, in some ways. Super interesting. Super sort of reached out to leaders that are in our our world that are either starting companies, running companies, have, you know, some executive level presence that they oversee people. And uh, most of their work is based on innovation. You could say that's all companies now. Uh, but it's been interesting just gathering thoughts about trying to say, what are the one or two things that we can do in our work, work at the tech council. And, you know, what happens is, is that you have to peel back and you have to think about what is the problem and how deep rooted is the problem. Yeah. And so that's where the conversations have just been really healthy. They've been intense and they've been, people want some action. And that, that's the piece that's been really, really positive is that okay. people really want some action. They don't want to sit back. They don't want to do things yeah. that are just um, covering a little blemish. They, they really want to look at how, what have they done wrong? What have we done wrong? And they're looking for our leadership there. And it ties into a lot of our work, like around advocacy and public policy and things that we know that matter about our people, just people in general. So it feels like a natural dovetail into our work. It's also made us start to question, you know, when you solve these, try to solve the problems of equity and parity and making sure that you have, you know, why is Pittsburgh not a great place for black Americans? And, you know, you look at what representation is of people of color. We have failed on so many different fronts and it's probably more apparent in a place like Pittsburgh Hmm. because we never did a great job in terms of cultivating of the black middle class when it left Pittsburgh. Exactly. Yeah. You know, the eighties 
that happened in manufacturing where there was a stronger middle class. And so we never reconstituted that. We became a tech town or we became a place where doctors came, you know, they used to call it eds and meds and research, et cetera. So then we never were intentional about building, building that, that black community and that sense of, of um, just belonging. That's really so left us a many yeah, steps behind. Atrophied. Right? So since mm-hmm. it's atrophied, we now can see it so glaringly since this pandemic. And since us, all of us watching the murder of George Floyd and seeing all the stories, you know, back when I was growing up and even when you were growing up, you didn't have this kind of live video footage, things, you know, media curated things. Exactly right. And now, you know, the only curation is what we do in terms of how we capture media as individuals, you know, and it's so obvious and in our face that we can't turn our back. We shouldn't turn our back. Oh, absolutely not. And, you know, understanding what privilege means, particularly in this pandemic period you see so many people who've had to just go home and not have any access to the outside world and thinking that schools were their place where they had access to the outside world right then they you know kids go home and don't have connections right they don't have connections Mm -hmm. and you know families are struggling so it's become so disparate you know think about it jonathan like 15 weeks ago we were talking to lisa scales who runs the food bank and we were on national news. Yeah, the lines in UK really don't look like a mile. And the food bank is really a, like, creates other tributaries. They disseminate food to actually 500 other food banks, right? But think about that. People were going to the main food bank. And, you know, when they would set up, like at the airport or PPG Paints, they would run out of food. I know. They actually had to turn people away at one point, and it was like, it's just devastating. Like, food has been a big issue for us here in Pittsburgh as we, you know, have attracted Google and Apple and Facebook and, you know, all these companies. Who would have thought that in those same communities that food is an issue? I know. And it's no longer that's the what really got to me was the idea that there are families that literally could not feed their children. And I just, I can't comprehend that. that. Like, never happened. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad that we stepped up at the tech council and acted as connectors. Right. So many companies now are participating and helping with food and so many different kinds of avenues have occurred. There shouldn't be anyone in Pittsburgh who, you know, should be struggling with where their next meal is. Exactly. But, exactly. you know, we were in crisis. We're still sort of in crisis. So the good news is, is that at the tech council, we're surrounded by incredibly smart people who want to solve problems and they're business leaders and know they need to step up and figure it out. Mm-hmm. So that's the great news. And that's the piece that's absolutely refreshing and invigorating. Very the much. bigger piece is we have a big mountain to climb and we can't, we can't stop. So I want to be proud of Pittsburgh. I want to see Pittsburgh, you know, become a place that turned the corner during this kind of pandemic. I'm sure other cities say the same thing. But I think we have, what is it, the grit and gristle to... Got the grit. You know, That's, I like that. Absolutely. Create, you know, the momentum as we move forward. I don't in any way trying to be shallow about it and think that we all have the same answers and don't understand our privilege. So stay tuned for more on that. Absolutely. Where Jonathan and I are going to be working on telling stories, trying to peel the onion back a little bit. 
and, and phase two really sort of crack the silos. So I'm happy to be a part of that. You can, you can follow us on our new website that was yes. revamped on pghtech.org and you can see and you can join in and help us with these conversations. And I to plug the new website, Audrey, that's for sure. We've got some great guests hanging out with us tonight. We have our friends from Silumina uh, talking about all things with the virtual CIOs. And then we're talking to our friends at Celerity. They are like the fifth beetle of people's IT departments at the end of the day. Those guys are, are doing some amazing work for some big customers here in Pittsburgh. And also, Audrey, we're playing a little snippet from our summer of 50 tech stories. We have a, a pen, a Po Shenlo on the show today uh, from XB. He has developed what is, we'd be the first contactless, less contactless, anonymous contact tracing. Wow, see that's 16 right. times. I can't, my brain hurts. COVID. <laughs> For right. COVID, exactly. I think I said it all backwards or something like that. That's where our brain is. We're coming right back with a lot more Tech Vibe Radio. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. We're back, Audrey. I promise we'd be back with more Tech Vibe Radio. And Audrey, as you know, I'm super pumped because we have started our summer of 50 PGH Tech Stories. And our no, first right? We're on it. We're on it. We're, we're, we're going to crush 50 stories over the summer about what's happening in Pittsburgh. That's just completely cool in our ecosystem. And our first episode is with XB and uh, Po Shen Lo, super cool guy. He, he has to be one of the smartest dudes I've ever met. Wait, isn't he like famous? He is probably famous for solving very tough math problems. He's a champion math guy. Like I just can't even describe what this guy's about, but he's developed a new app called Novid. It's considered to be the first anonymous contact tracing app for COVID, right. which is really exciting. And he treats it as a math problem. And he built this app in three weeks. <laughs> and uh, I, I just thought it was a great way to kick off our summer of stories because only yeah, in Pittsburgh do we have someone like Poe doing great stuff like that. So give it a listen. We have a little snippet. If you want to watch and listen to the whole thing, just go to pghtech.org. We've got a drop down under podcasts. And it's all under our 50 story. First off, what's your background? What brought you to Pittsburgh? What keeps you in Pittsburgh? We're going to jump into XB and really nerd out on, you guys are developing the first anonymous contact tracing app for COVID, which I think is, of course, who's going to develop that? Poe and his team at XB is going to develop that. It's so simple. So. Wow. Well, thanks very much. First of all, it's a, it's a real pleasure to be on this show. I think that what you guys do is fantastic. And so I'm, I'm actually very honored to be on this show to chat with you about my background. I'm actually just a math guy. I mean, my background is I like to think about mathematics. I like to think about, yeah, I'm a math guy. And I also like to try to find ways to help everyone understand math. And that's because I want to let everyone make better, clearer decisions whenever they're trying to figure something out, whether that something is as simple as what should I do to organize my business? Actually, that's not very simple at all. (laughs) That's a hard one, man. That's pretty hard. But I was going to say the other one is calculus. I would love to learn calculus again. We'll get to that on, on all of our products at some point too. But what brought me to Pittsburgh was actually Carnegie Mellon University's ecosystem. And of course, not just Carnegie Mellon University, but the fact that this city as a whole actually has a lot of innovation hotspots inside it. So, I, I mean, I'm actually attracted by potential. And so when, like when, when, yeah, when, I, when I came here, actually, I came here to Carnegie Mellon. And the first thing that I did for a few years of my work life was to try to build up Carnegie Mellon's fame in mathematics. And that was fun. <laughs> I mean, along the way, we actually even brought the National Math Olympiad team to come to Carnegie Mellon to train yeah. every year. That's what I'm talking about, man. 
That's so we did that. But Very cool. That's like what brought me here. And what, what's keeping me here is the fact that about six years ago, I started XP. XP is a social enterprise, which I run, where the primary goal is actually to have as much positive social impact in the world as possible with mm -hmm. what we know how to do. And what we know how to do is basically technology, education, and now apparently also anonymous contact tracing for COVID-19. But, but the- Who would have thought, you know, right? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> why not? Very cool. <laughs> but actually the common thread between all of those is that they all use math, algorithms, and technology to try yeah. to solve some problem that's quite large in the world. Right. And why I stayed here, and why I'm very happy to stay here is because I found out that it's possible to find really talented people, really passionate people, and really mission-driven people to work with to build a small organization like this that can have an outsized impact. Absolutely, man. That's why I'm so glad you're here because I mean, you're just hitting on all the levels. And what I love is there's math behind everything at the end of the day. Math is your jam, right? So, <laughs> so like, I, I think before we go into the contact tracing side, I think people just need to know a little bit about some of the great coursework that you have out there. They're, they're, it's teaching kids math right now. And I just think because like, we've talked about that before earlier on Tech Vibe Radio, and I was just so impressed with it. I think our listeners and our, our viewers here need to be able to learn a little bit about that. And let's just jump in after that into what's going on with how you're taking math <laughs> to, to, to build anonymous contact tracing. Sure, you bet. Actually, the first thing that we built at XP was to build a free platform for people to learn math and science through ways that there would be different kinds of explanations for any particular topic. That was the key. Everyone has different things that appeal to them. And nowadays we have, you know, we have about two to 300,000 people come through a month, which is Wow, that's a lot of learning math, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We're ambitious. We got ambitions in the sense that, you know, the goal is to go to 10 million. But I will say that we, you know, we're, oh, we're, we're got growing. a long way to go. <laughs> we got a long way to go to get to we're our work 10 harder, Poe. Come on. We're going to work harder. <laughs> You're slack. <laughs> you got it. You got it. But so that's what we're doing. That's the free thing that we do. But of course, it's a social enterprise. So it has to make money somehow. And in fact, what we did is about a year ago, we launched in the United States, a line of online math courses that aren't free, but they're targeted towards people who already find school math easy. Let's just say that. I'm not your target audience, though. Sorry. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. Because actually the way that the other line of those math courses is running, yeah. it actually teaches math in a completely different way, where instead of showing you how to do a problem and then practicing 10 of them, it actually keeps giving you problems that you shouldn't know how to do. But then it gives you hints along the way so that you start to discover for yourself how all of math fits together. And of course, I give explanations too. Exactly, of course. Very cool. Of course. So, so um, the, the, that, that second course, actually, that's actually what funds a lot of what we do because of the fact that, it, it, well, it happens to be fairly popular in the sense that if you're looking for a course for students who are in the top 10% of middle school algebra, for example, right. those courses are hard to find. And so we actually just put out a video-based online course and that pays for everything that we do. Cool, man. I absolutely love it. That is awesome. And I love the fact that you're reaching out to kids that are finding math pretty easy. <laughs> you're giving them the really good math problems, right? But you see, we're doing both, right? So the, the goal that I have really is to help everybody find that math is easy. And so we have two lines. One line is just for general public to bring people into the world, showing lots of different ways of understanding various math, math and science concepts. And then we have the other one, which is not free, but for people who sort of already got it. So it almost is a, I don't want, I don't want to call it Robin Hood because we're not stealing from anyone, but it's almost like a system <laughs> where people who already have, you know, right. that's where the revenue is generated. And then we use that to fund everybody else. Absolutely. That's so cool. So let's jump into what's going on with this contact tracing app, because I mean, obviously COVID hit like about 14 weeks ago and uh, building, something, building something like this 
has to be pretty intense. And obviously you were inspired because you knew there was a, there was a, there was a problem. You knew there was an answer and it was going to involve math. <laughs> Tell us the story and what got you into this. Right. Well, the story is a bit weird because as I, as I just said, we were doing this online math course and the online stuff blew up. Everyone wanted online math courses. So when this all started to happen, I just assumed that my life would go towards online and okay. figuring out how to do things that were online. But there was a catch. Okay. So my PhD was actually funded by a group called the Hertz Foundation. Mm -hmm. The Hertz Foundation is uh, an organization that was founded by the same Hertz as Hertz Rental Car Company. Oh boy, yes. <laughs> by the way, he was also the founder of Yellow Cab, which is why Hertz logo is yellow. That's uh, why the Hertz logo okay. is yellow. Christy lesson from Poe, I like this, yes. Okay, but so the deal is this guy, he actually also was not very far removed relationship-wise from the people who were in the Manhattan Project which uh, were the scientists and engineers that came together in the effort to stop World War II. And so in the height of the Cold War, he founded this uh, fellowship program to pay for scholarships for people to do PhDs. And the thought was they might need Manhattan Project number two to build this super mega bomb. Uh, and so actually everyone who was funded by this would also get, uh, you, you get funded, you get a free PhD. But then also you sign a moral agreement that says that if there's ever a moment of national emergency, you'll come together to help. Ah, cool. So this, this exists every year. 15 yeah, no, I believe it. Yeah. Right. So every year, 15 people across the U.S. are picked and they're kind of picked by a very careful process to find some experts in engineering, physics, like often multidisciplinary experts. Yeah. And they signed this thing. And so there's this bank of about a thousand people in the U.S. who, you know, could be mobilized. You can be mobilized any minute, Poe, and you don't know it. So you see, I'm actually one of them. So I, I actually was one of these guys. Cool. If you want to listen to the rest of Poe Shenlo's awesome story, developing the Novid anonymous contact tracing app, go to pghtech.org on the drop down under podcast. Just look for the summer of Pittsburgh tech stories. Give it a listen right there. Really fascinating stuff. Poe is one of my favorite people. We're taking a quick break. We're coming back with more Tech Vibe Radio. This is Jonathan Kirsten. So glad you're spending your Wednesday night here with us on Tech Vibe Radio. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Russo. And Audrey, we've got some good people hanging out with us today. One of the coolest companies in Pittsburgh, Psylumina. When these guys spun out from SDLC, I was pretty pumped because I like seeing companies being spun out to solve tough challenges, especially cybersecurity stuff. And these guys are tops in their game, out of doubt. We've got Chris Hart hanging out with us and Mike Pocus. Guys, thanks for being with us today. I really do appreciate it. No, no problem. Really appreciate your Let's start with your backgrounds real quick. We always right. like to know who we're talking to. So, Mike, quick, what's your background and what you do with Cylumina? So, my background, I've been, uh, I've been in, in cybersecurity for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in this business longer than I will admit. <laughs> for the last 15 years, I've served in a lot of different roles as far as a security consultant, uh, a virtual CISO, a CISO, a COO, and a lot of different things. And uh, Lord. So I came over to Cylumina recently, uh, about a year ago. I've been part of the company. And then Chris, you're calling in from D.C. So, Chris, what's your background and what do you do with Cylumina? Sure. sure. I've, uh, I've been in cyber for um, uh, since long before it was even called cyber, for almost 20 years. <laughs> uh, spent the last six, I'm sorry? Either information, asset protection, data protection, um, even, even risk recovery back in the, uh, the old, old days. Wow. I like cybersecurity so, better. It's a better term. It's it is. It's, it's much catchier. It's, it's absolutely much catchier. Um, I've spent the last probably 14, 15 years as a CISO, um, most previously with, uh, with Thermo Fisher Scientific. Before that, Life Technologies, then Invitrogen, going all the way back to my satellite days with Hughes. 
uh, that was the, uh, the the CISO and uh, and security architect for the product offering. So, um, yeah, that's a little about me. And give us the pitch for Cylumina, because I think the, the, you guys have a very unique service, that's for sure. Sure, we're a, a, a cybersecurity firm located right here in Pittsburgh. Um, we've uh, we've got a number of offerings, and, and one of our marquee offerings is uh, is, is absolutely a, a CISO as a service or a virtual CISO. What what we do is it not only helps the community when they need a CISO, but maybe not full time. You know, you take a look at the average mid-sized company um, or, or small company, and they really don't need uh, another executive drawing a paycheck to get uh, what amounts to 10% of needed advice. Um, that's where we come in. You know, we can provide that economy of scale to provide that high-level talent, um, but at a at a much more marked pace. Um, it doesn't have to be a full-time arrangement. In fact, it rarely is. Um, so that's that's really where we uh, you know, where we come in. Um, it, it provides not only that service, but also what we're we're finding is that as we provide these CISO as a service, you know, offerings to the the Pittsburgh community. What we get back is also a more refined perspective on where the market is in Pittsburgh, as well as what these mid and, and small companies need. You know, as you know, we focus on the mid, uh, you know, small and mid-sized market. Uh, we feel it's tremendously underserved. And the more of these CISO as a service engagements where we come in and do anything from contract renegotiations with security vendors to Build out operations platforms, or, or even help remediate some uh, some you know audit deficiencies that, that recently came in. Uh, we we come in, we help you navigate those things. Um, it it gives us that that what is important to the small business, to the mid-sized business feel um, that I think you really miss out when you deal only with uh, with, with enterprise. So if we jump to Mike, can you talk about what the service is. Like, give us. Give us some really good examples so that people who are listening, that, that really probably your sweet spot, will understand the value. Okay, so, you know, there's a the very simple definition of, a, of what a virtual CISO does is it's a service designed to make top-tier security experts available to organizations who need security expertise and guidance. Why a virtual CISO is an attractive option for a lot of people is because you get, you get top-tier security experts for organizations who don't, maybe can't afford a full-time internal CISO. So they can have all different levels. And I've, I've, I've performed as a virtual CISO in, in a full-time engagement, and then as low as, as 12 to 14 hours a month just helping to be, be on-demand, as an expert on-demand. So it, it virtually does scan across all size companies and all organizations. Um, here's a couple of advantages of being a, a virtual CISO. One, Virtual CISO can come in and they can play the same role and perform the same functions as a, as a CISO does today. But they can do it at a cost-effective model. It's not full-time necessarily if they can't afford that. Also, you're going to think um, a virtual CISO is coming in with no personal agenda. We're vendor neutral. We do what's best for the organization we come in to work with, right? We make decisions based objectively on what's best for that organization. Um, we also provide expertise and advice on demand when you need it. They, they can call me when they need to call me, and if they don't need to talk to me for a couple of weeks, they don't need to. So it is very scalable. You take advantage of our accumulated experience. You know, Chris and I have both been doing this a long time. I've been in a number of different industry verticals and a number of different situations. I also have a lot of relationships with vendors, security leaders, industry contracts, business owners. So if a, a particular problem comes up, a virtual CISO that's not just limited to one company 
I can tap into all my industry contacts and come back with some really good answers for people. That Those are just some of the advantages. That's a really great point. I mean, yeah. I think that always pays for itself, just in your connections alone and being able to solve a problem quickly and cost effectively, I think is enough to where it's like, why would you not do this? It seems like a perfectly sane thing to do. So how, so for many mid-sized companies or smaller companies where your services still would be needed, they might use managed service providers. How do you work with managed service providers? Can you talk about that? Because I think people will get confused. They'll think that their managed service providers really operates in a way that a CISO might, and, and that's very different. Okay. Uh, do, you want me to answer that one? Yeah, go ahead, Mark. So, okay, so in my past, we, um, we did some of that stuff. So, so you know, a virtual CISO can be an individual, like I said, that does, that does um, advice on demand, but also a lot of my engagements, I also own the managed services side of the house from a vulnerability manager, managed services, and that includes internal managed services and also third party. Again, as a, as a person with no personal agenda and being vendor neutral, we'll pick the best third party that's best for that organization. And we, we can manage that managed service just as well as if they were in our own company. Um, so so it's, a, it's very much it's a very much an advantage for a virtual CISO to be experienced and have some experience with managing projects because a lot of times a company will, will sign us up just to specifically to manage some managed service providers or manage specific projects. Uh-huh. I've had engagements where all they wanted me to do was make sure we stood up a good vulnerability right. management system and made sure it ran. That's really good to know. Answer? That's good to think about. That's good to know. You... And you could also, would you ever provide a service for people thinking about managed service providers from taking it in-house to out of house and working with them and helping them through that process? Because I think what you're providing is a a lens that most people aren't thinking about. Yeah, as as an organization grows, um, the the needs change. And, And part of the... A CISO ostensibly is, is a leader. It's a cyber leader with the organization, and, and we would act as such. If things need to be insourced, absolutely, we can help meticulate the, the analysis necessary to see if that is the right uh, approach um, or continue to outsource, or in most cases, what ends up being a hybridized model. Um, so absolutely, it gives one throat to choke, ours. Um, we can be as hands-on or as hands-off with uh, those other managed services as the uh, uh, as the customer dictates. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it, it provides that seamless visibility into science. And again, don't forget what I mentioned that when you're a virtual CISO, you're, you're an ex- you, you consider yourself and you want to be considered an extension of that, that organization's management team. And when I mentioned we perform the same services as an internal CISO would, some of that would be going out and doing evaluations on tools and third-party vendors and third-party managed services and coming back with with recommendations. That's a big part of what we would do. Well, I would imagine also people are listening and they have startup companies that have taken venture capital, that the assurance of having someone in your kind of capability that's virtual and has a contract and is part of the team, as an investor, I would be happy to hear that. Because I know public boards are requiring that now. So totally different conversation, different kind of of company, but even those that are venture-backed or capital-intensive, they would probably be thrilled to know that they have a CISO as part of their team. They, and that's a, that's a great point. And here's another another with that is that 
as a virtual CISO, you, you haven't made the full-time commitment to a full-time salary and benefits and everything else. When you, when you don't require our services anymore, it's very easy for us to move on to something new. So on a small startup company that maybe can't afford it for full-time or a venture capitalist who are, who are worried about where they're spending their money, we don't need to be full-time and we're easily brought in and out as we need to be. Right, but you're giving me the security, quote unquote, to know that my money is going somewhere where someone's got their eye on this thing. Because when you're building a company, you're not necessarily keeping your eye on this stuff. It's not, it's not out of malice it's, or out of neglect. It's just because you're busy building at the earliest stages. Especially as a startup. I've been associated with startups and, you know, you virtually go down, go down the list and say, you know, you know Joe, you're in, you're in charge of IT and you're in charge of HR right. and they don't yeah. really have the background, right? I've, I've been down that road where people have been in charge of HR who have who who, never had that, that responsibility. So having somebody that's got this expert knowledge coming from the outside is, can be a real advantage to small startup companies. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a great example. So your services are available anywhere, right? You're not just bound to Pittsburgh? Yeah, if you're virtual, you can be wherever yeah, you that's, want. That's correct. Yep, that, that's so correct. All across we, the United States? All across the United States. Uh, obviously, our heart is in Pittsburgh. Um, so that's, uh, that's absolutely our focus area. We like that. We like um, that. Is that a song? Did you want to? <laughs> that could be a good one, too. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, certainly, it certainly would be. Um, so yeah, but they, they could be provided everywhere. Um, there is a certain amount of touch that's necessary, but uh, it kind of leads right into our current uh, COVID situation. No, it's great. Are you seeing any trends, anything that you might want to share, like it, it, since this pandemic or even before? Are you seeing any trends? I, I well, think- one, big thing that, one, one big thing that I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of COVID-related Phishing scams. Oh yeah, that's getting very uh, yeah. prevalent. I heard it's, that it's early really on. Right. I just had a, I just had a conversation with some with some clients earlier today that they're getting a lot of those calls now because everybody's trying to take advantage of that. So that's one one thing I am seeing. The second thing I'm seeing is that um, remote workforce now that we're going to be working remotely. There's a whole new set of security concerns that go along with that, right? That we have to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't even want to know about my internet connection here. <laughs> <laughs> So we, if people want to know more about you, what's the website? www.silumina.com. Silumina with a C-Y. C-Y-L-U-M-E-N-A. Yep. Okay, good. Based in Pittsburgh. And, uh, so people want to know they can go there. We thank the both of you for coming in and us. This whole cup of virtual CISO is awesome. Very cool. Thank stuff. you so much. Right. We really appreciate the opportunity. Glad to have Thank you. you. Too. That's for sure. Hey, we're taking a quick break. We've got more Tech Vibe coming your way. This is Jonathan Kirsting. And this is Audrey Rousseau. Audrey, we are winding up the show tonight. And, you know, I get a little sad, but I'm also super pumped up because we've had this great ride so far. But at the same time, like, oh, we got to land the jet. But we're landing the jet with some pretty cool folks here from Celerity. we got Ken Quaglia with us today. These guys are doing some really great work. And I'm just really excited to learn more about what Celerity is up to in Pittsburgh and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, I mean, they are a significant sized company. So thank you, Ken, for being with us. Yeah. My pleasure. So why don't we jump right in? Why don't you give us just a brief intro to sort of set the stage for what Celerity is? Yeah, so rather than give you the usual marketing blurb that, you know, this is what we do, let me give you some context of what, how we see the world. 
I like we, that. We, we think there's three major drivers that businesses have to deal with. The first is the age of the customer. The customer makes the decision now, not the business any longer. The second is the age of uncertainty. And if you didn't believe that before COVID, you, you sure as hell believe it now. I think you just <laughs> don't know what's going to happen and can't plan two, three years in the horizon, much less a couple of months now. And lastly is this notion of urgency where successful businesses are able to respond to data, turn it into insights, and then change their business. So when you put all that together, what we really focus on doing is helping businesses become more responsive enterprises. And we, we think that that is essential to thriving in a world where the customer's in charge, you can't predict the future, and you got to move at a different speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, resilience is, has always been, you know, the premise and, you know, years of business books talking about resilience. But you know, the resilience to me has taken on a whole new um, meaning over these last four months and having customer focus and all that. Where do you see, I mean, you must have some good, you know, practices because you've done that over a period of time, but what yeah. do you see has changed? Well, first, you know, I'm not sure that resilience is the right word anymore. Resilience is the ability to bounce back. I think what businesses have to do is get ahead of it a little bit. So mm-hmm. if you take a tennis okay. ball and drop it, you know, resilience is how far does it bounce each time. I think what we've got to be able to do is respond faster than we've been able to in the past. And most businesses weren't built for that. You know, businesses were built to sell a product out versus deal with a world that's, you know, the market in. So Mm -hmm. you've got to completely rethink your business. You've got to bounce forward, right? Exactly. You got to bounce forward. That's great. Yeah, bounce yeah. forward. Yeah, that's 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 a good that's a good metaphor. So, what are you seeing? What kind of problems do you work on? What kinds of problems? So, you know, we go to market around three core things that are aligned to you know when I talked about the three drivers: customer centricity, operational excellence, enterprise agility. Those are just words. I'll give you an example. So, right. we have a client in the health space that. Um, you know, is dealing with a resource problem where they've got to find the perfect combination of assets, labor, and patients, and create an experience so that all three of those things work in harmony to create an outcome. And we're talking about people's lives. So for them, we built a scheduling system that really takes the patient at the center, but it also gives you a higher return on assets because the equipment's got to be available, a higher return on capital because you've got to get the right labor person, the right clinician with the right skills in the right place at the right time, and put all that together in a way that can take significant cost out of the business while improving the patient experience. And then in hmm. this age of uncertainty, when COVID yeah. hit, it was like, a, which, which of these clinical areas are we going to designate as COVID treatment areas versus non-COVID treatment areas? So you got to be able to adjust your software, your technology, your business processes on the fly to deal with new stimuli. That's complex. <laughs> that is very complex. Very complex. I like think my yeah. brain hurts right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So this has been this this is a good opportunity for celerity, I would imagine, in terms of yeah. what's going on right now. I think so. I, you know, whether it's COVID or you know just the technology that we've seen that's disrupting the way that businesses think. If you if you think about where we were five years ago, where we are today, we are on the verge of a tremendous change. So everyone keeps talking about five G. Well. What 5G does, it creates ubiquitous computing of high bandwidth. And what it means is we can extend what we do well beyond the four walls of a, of a Wi-Fi or a modem. So, for example, you know, this notion of Internet of Things, well, if 
everything has a chip in it and every chip has a radio and everything's connected. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for a business? If I'm getting all this deluge of information coming into my company, mm -hmm. I've got to be able to quickly parse it, do something with it and then change my operations in response. And then you, you layer on quantum computing, which everyone mm -hmm. says, okay, that's far off. That's five years away. And in fact, if you go to Microsoft, you go to yeah. Amazon web services today, you can stand up a quantum server, if you will, on the cloud so that you can start using Q sharp to start doing mm -hmm. quantum development. Yeah. It's amazing. Crazy. It's amazing. So no longer can I base uh, my work on my intuition. <laughs> you can, I, I, you know, that's a great point. I think there's still a place for it. Just support it with data. Mm -hmm. Jonathan can tell you, I say that all the time. They're oh. like, Oh yeah, we're just going to do that. I go, where's the data? Where's exactly. the data? Yeah. Oh, Audrey. We, <laughs> we know. Okay, great. That's great. You know, Audrey, to that point though, with, you know, quantum computing helps with what we call combinatorial optimizations. You take vast variables and you're able to quickly right. crunch those things and come out with most mm -hmm. probable outcomes. I think what we're coming to is this notion of intuition. Where does the human play in all right. of this, right? Because we have robotic process automation, which is going to become intelligent process right. automation, which is going to become autonomous automation at some point. So what is the role of the human in the enterprise of the future? And that's a mm -hmm. great question. I think it's just to boss. That's where, you know, you, you do need someone <laughs> to do a little bit of orchestration, right? There's going to be exactly. a conductor. I think the orchestration is still where we play best, right? Right. So that, that's, that's really cool. Are you seeing, what industries are you seeing since you're in FinTech, you know, you're in financial services, you're in yep. healthcare, where are you seeing the biggest shifts in terms of like, if you were just to punch out one year? In one year? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I no longer look yeah. on that. So obviously, I mean, we all watch what's been going on with healthcare and the adoption of um, telemedicine yeah, and telehealth. And is that going to be, you know, this is the question. This is where uncertainty comes in. Is telemedicine really here now? Are people going to stick with it on the other side of COVID or are we going to go back to office visits? Uber. I'm sticking with it, man. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm like with you, but you don't know, right? Uber's a good example. Um, will people want to get into a car that two dozen other people were in it before them? Hmm. You know, is that the way of the future? Is autonomous vehicles the way of the future? I think that if you take those industries that have been very slow to adopt technology to change the way they work, financial services, healthcare, they mm -hmm. are in the midst of figuring out, is this really the tipping point? Is, is it going to be different forever? Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity, so what's, what's Pittsburgh for you? So you're they, based in Washington, D.C., but you have offices in a few locations. So tell us about Pittsburgh. We've been there 16 years. Um, we've done work for clients. We actually built the business around Highmark when we first opened our office there. Um, but we've worked for Eaton and BASF and Cavestro. So, okay. So you've got those, like we, a pantheon of clients there, Ken. I mean, that's like have. serious folks. Yeah. You're helping them solve some really serious challenges, which makes your job, I would assume, a lot of fun. It's a blast. And, you know, we've built it into sort of our center of expertise around legacy op application modernization. So all these businesses that built applications 10, 15 years ago to serve a very specific purpose, we can re-architect and reconfigure and make them cloud-based and make them more agile and flexible and then move to more of a services sort of architecture. So and that's our center where we do most of that work. So 
you know, we're very fortunate. Our office is in Cranberry right now, but we've got people that kind of come out of Carnegie Mellon. Uh, you know, we have an office in Harrisburg as well. We've done work for the state of Pennsylvania. It's a great place to do business. It's a leading edge for robotics, as you know. Right. So you have, um, there's a website, Celerity, Celerity.com with a C. That's us. Yep. Are you hiring? We're always hiring. You're always hiring? Interestingly enough, um, people ask the question, well, what's happened to the business in COVID? First thing is we made a, a very quick shift to work from home. We're probably going to stay and work from home through the fall sometime. There's no yeah. hurry to go back to the office. It's been right. seamless. It's Makes worked sense. great. And our existing clients have not only stayed with us, they've expanded their footprint with wow. us. And we've been able to sign new clients as well, which frankly, we were a little bit surprised by, but I think it's because of what we do and how we do it. I mean, they know well, you're solving see, the tough stuff, right? Yeah, you know, and, exactly. It is about efficiency and it's about relationships. So obviously you've had both. And but you've got to keep the client focused on what's going to be on the other side, right? So everybody hunkers mm -hmm. down and it's capital preservation and cost takeout, right. but there's going to be another side. So make sure you don't lose track of the other side. No, solid advice. That's great. So is there anything else that you think we should know that some of your sweet sauce in terms of celerity? <laughs> the celerity sweet sauce. I like that. <laughs> you know, we, we just went through an exercise internally and say, why do people buy from us and why do they stay with us? And, you know, the first answer you get is our people make all the difference. And we said, yeah, great. Everybody says that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we, we tried to peel that back a couple of layers. And what we came to was, you know, our clients, we have an NPS score in net, net promoter score of 68, right. which in the services business is amazingly high. So we said, let's forget what we think. Ask our clients. And our clients said, we just trust you to do what's right for us. And we said, you know, that's great. That, you can't ask for anything more than that. And mm -hmm. then the second thing we said, well, there's a problem with that because when you go out to a new client, they don't know you. So how do they trust you? They don't know you. Exactly. You go you know, you go, hey, look at those guys. Yeah, those they guys love us. Stuff. They take their word for it. So that's, that's what we're working through right now is getting those clients that know us and love us. Right. Shout on, you know, from rooftops, use these guys. They're good guys. And so if people are interested in their own career, how would they get to work for you? What would be some advice? Well, I would say, you know, make sure you're inquisitive and you, you have a passion for service. Uh, that's number one. We're servant leaders. And, mm. you, know, you know, if you really want to come to a company where it's about the client, not about you, then we're the right place to come. Right. And about working with great people. Yeah. Good well, that's stuff. awesome. Guys, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. You've been here for My 16 pleasure. years in Pittsburgh, which I think is just so awesome. I mean, obviously, yeah. Pittsburgh's a growth area for you guys. And, and, and I'm just curious, like, got about a minute or so left, just wondering, like, the future in Pittsburgh. You know, obviously, you're hiring and so forth, and you see more business coming. What else are we thinking about? Yeah, so there's, there's two reasons you're in a city. One is the market itself, and the other is the opportunity to create a base and delivery center that you serve globally. So, you know, our intent is to continue to expand in the greater Pittsburgh area, use that as a global delivery center to support our clients that are trying to deal with the, the big hefty problems around really the legacy application modernization and the combinatorial optimization. I just love saying it. So I had to say yeah, it that's pretty good. man. Uh, okay. <laughs> but say that 10 times fast. I do. Yeah, you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome stuff. Ken, thank you for hanging out with us. We're just so glad yeah. Solaris in Pittsburgh doing what it's doing. It's definitely one of the anchor tenants of Pittsburgh's tech sector. That's for and sure. And we're, we're glad to be there. Can't imagine being anywhere else. But we're going to end it on that note, Ken. Thanks for being part of this. And uh, just remind everyone, tune back into Tech Vibe Radio next Wednesday night. This is Jonathan. Thanks Kirsten. and stay well. And this is Audrey Russo.
learn more about the Pittsburgh Technology Council, go to pghtech.org and check out Celerity at celerity.com as well too. Thanks everybody.